Good morning. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for constantly being aware of all that's going on in our lives. And even though sometimes we are skeptical of your involvement, please forgive our lack of faith, Lord. We know that you are there and that you care. And we know that we matter to you. We pray, Lord, that you would surround us with the belt of truth today as we open up your word. And may your Holy Spirit guide our mind, our thoughts, and our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's sermon is entitled, In Pursuit of Truth. Last week was In Pursuit of Strength. This week it's In Pursuit of Truth. And I picked up a weekly world news magazine, very credible publication, known for its accuracy and factual integrity. And I, I, I have some headlines that I want to share with you from a weekly world news. Uh, Lion eats Tiger King, saves his mullet. Another headline was FDA declares Oreo, or Oreos rather, health food during virus. Here's another great headline. California governor tightens all borders and travel, including time travel, just so you would know. Here's another headline. Hypnotized woman lands plane, saves hundreds, does not remember anything. And then uh, my final headline that I loved from uh, this wonderful magazine, uh, Delaware is missing, gone off the map. The Federal Bureau of Investigation confirmed that Delaware, the seventh largest broiler chicken export in the nation, has mysteriously disappeared. Now, I read these headlines and I'm thinking, do people actually buy these magazines? And they do. And in fact, I, I went to buy this one so that I could do the illustration. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was so embarrassed. I was like, uh, yeah, no, that's all I want. And she says, you want me to bag it for you? I was like, yeah, six bags would be fine. I'd be, just cover it up. I, I don't, I don't want to even people know that I'm on buying this. And then she told me what it cost. And it was like $5 and change for this. $5 and change. And I'm like, do I really want to do this illustration? Is it really that important? But I love you guys, and I thought it was. So there you go. Most people that buy these, obviously, don't buy them for their total commitment to veracity. Uh, but I assume that they buy it purely for entertainment, and the obvious lies that we read in these. I think they kind of make us laugh. And let's face it, truth is not a high priority for the publishers of weekly world news. In fact, the faker it sounds, the better it is. Honestly, the more time goes by, the more I wonder, does anybody know what truth is anymore? Does anybody know what's true anymore? When we have talking heads bombarding us with dubious news about what is true, uh, we've coined a phrase now called fake news uh, because we don't even know what to believe anymore. 
social media not only filled with a stream of, of unrealistic lifestyles and unsubstantiated claims, but actually designed to feed you the truth you want to hear. And if you don't believe me, uh, I think we mentioned this before, but there's a, a great Netflix uh, video called Social Dilemma, and it talks a lot about that. And, but again, you know, can you even believe them? We do, uh, there's a, a great quote by Anais Nin, and she writes, We do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And then uh, Albert Einstein says, A man should look for what is and not for what he thinks should be. So apparently this, this, this desire to, 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 to read the news or look at truth uh, only to see if it fits your context, if it fits your perspective, and to somehow make it fit that perspective, this is something that's been going on for quite some time. In fact, no wonder Isaiah the prophet prophesied in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, he said, truth stumbles in the streets. Truth stumbles in the streets. And honesty has been outlawed. Wow. I can't think of a time in my life that this hasn't been more true. Truth stumbles in the street. And honesty has been outlawed. So all of us seek truth. All of us want truth. Truth matters because it protects us. Uh, relationally, truth builds trust. And trust is the glue of any relationship. Personally, truth holds me accountable. Socially, truth shapes justice. And spiritually, truth guides me. So truth is important and matters. But if you look for it solely from a human source, you're going to find that truth becomes more and more elusive. In a book called The Birth of the Chaotic Age, the author D. Hawk writes this interesting quote. He says, It is our individual perspective, the view from our internal temple of reality that often discolors and distorts truth. Perspective, he says, is the Achilles heel of the mind. Think about that. Perspective is the Achilles heel of the mind. Because our windows, our filters, is how we see the world. And have you noticed that you can all look at the same thing and say something different? And you're all thinking you're saying the truth. And so we seek truth. We seek truth that we can own, but truth that doesn't own us. We want truth as a sword to attack rather than a scalpel that can do surgery in our hearts. We want truth that is a status builder, that gives us prominence rather than a change agent. We want truth as information to equip us, to arm us, rather than truth as wisdom to guide us. Hey, listen, you don't have to post stuff to prove stuff. But this is what happens all the time. I'm getting to the point where I can't even get on a social media 
and, and, and just like, you know, please, please, careful what you write. Careful what you read. Just because it's on Facebook doesn't make it true. We want truth as believers, uh, even as scientists, we want truth that is static. We can wrap it up, put it in our pocket, take it out only when we want it or need it. We want truth to be, to, to be kind of a rock. That's what we want. We want it to be kind of like, a, like this, this, this very intense rock that we can easily depend on all the time. I was uh, reading from an Italian physicist. Uh, his name is Carlo Rovelli. It's fascinating uh, stuff. I read all kinds of crazy stuff. But he talks about uh, the relational interpretation of quantum mechanics. I know. Easy stuff. And he says something that was really interesting as I read this. He says that science, in reality, is the study of interaction. He says that we want scientific truth, or physicist truth, to be like a stone. We want it to be steady. We want it to be static. We want it to be contained, he says. But the truth is, and I love this, and you can tell he's Italian by the way he says this. He says, truth is not like a stone. Truth is like a kiss. That's what he says. A kiss that changes you from the inside out. A kiss that just transforms you. That's what truth is supposed to do. It's interactive. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to do something inside. Listen, I've walked on many beaches with pebbles. I've walked on many rocks. I've stepped on, on many, many different stones. But I will never forget, and I've forgotten every one of them, but I will never forget the first time that I kissed Nancy. And the first time that I kissed Nancy, it changed the trajectory of my life. That's what truth does. It set me free. Truthfully, have you noticed that some of us have become more comfortable with lies than truth? And some of us have become more comfortable with lies than truth, and we don't even realize it. Why is that? There's one of these moments that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's, he has this kind of, this very raw, very intense moment. You, you notice this a lot when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. There's this, this moment that he does not hesitate to tell it like it is. A moment of truth. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he's talking to these leaders, and he says to them, you belong to your father, the devil. Wow. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, he cannot help himself. That is his language. That's the language he speaks. He speaks the language of lies. And he's telling these Jewish leaders that they are children of the father of lies. And this is pretty intense stuff. So let's talk about that for a moment. I thought about that. I thought about the very first lie that we know about that's recorded in the book of Genesis. So uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible... 
It'll be right on the screen for you to read with me. And it says this, Now the serpent, and we know who that is, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Crafty is the word. He said to the woman, he speaks to the woman, because frankly, guys don't speak. And he says, did God really say, did God really say, this is how he starts this conversation. He starts it with a question. Because a question begs an answer. A question sucks you in. So he, he starts this conversation with Eve by this question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? No. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So the very first lie actually, believe it or not, was a reframing of something that seemed almost like a truth, but it wasn't. It was this question. Now we often think this next statement is the first lie, but not really. If you think about it, the first lie was actually the question. Here's the second lie. You will not cer certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And if you notice something about this falsehood, you'll notice that it is uh, entwined with some truth in it. And Lucifer is great at that because if he can entwine it with truth, he's got you. God, basically, what Lucifer is saying is that God is, he's, he's holding out on you, Eve. That's just something he doesn't want you to have. This was the first conspiracy theory ever mentioned. It, it, it was the most devastating, too, because it cost us our earth, our world. God is holding out on you. You know, the first command that God gives Adam when he makes Adam, you know, the first command was, the very first command, he says, he says, here's the garden, first command, eat freely. I can buy into that commandment, can't you? I'm just obeying him. I mean, look, that's the way it is. I'm eating freely. Eat freely of the garden, that's what he says. The serpent reframes the narrative into falsehood. And he's basically saying, God does not have your best interest in mind. So there's a creeping, subtle reframing of the narrative, a form of falsehood that is so often camouflaged, often distinguished, disguised rather, as truth. And here, there are three ways that I want to share this with you. The first one is falsehood that comes in the form of intellectualism falsehood that comes in the form of intellectualism. Highly knowledgeable people that you take a ride on their ship and you drift endlessly tossed in the sea of man-made logic and you begin to drown in uncertainty and you feel like a little person because they are often more than not very condescending because they know stuff you don't know. Falsehood that comes in the form of intellectualism. There's another falsehood. Falsehood that comes in the form of rationale. 
falsehood that says, if God exists, why do bad things happen to good people? The rationale. If God exists, why doesn't he answer all our prayers? If God exists, how come we can't agree with what he's like? Why are there so many different religions? If God exists, how can anyone, anyone possibly know who's right or wrong? If God exists, why are children born hungry? If God exists, why do devout people, are, are, why are they buried poor? If God exists, why does God, good people are, are stricken by fire, earthquake, viruses? If God exists, rationale. These questions are worthy of answers, no doubt. And I'm going to be honest with you, I will be the first to tell you that very few things bother me more than when someone gives two-cent answers to million-dollar questions like this. So, here's some million-dollar answers that I hope you might like. First of all, these questions are actually addressing injustices. Think about this for a moment. These questions are addressing injustices. And a man does not call a line crooked unless somewhere he learned about a straight line. Does that make sense? A man does not call a line crooked unless somewhere he learned about a straight line. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Isn't that interesting? See, here's the reality. Ever since that moment in the garden, we have been in a state of war. But the Bible tells us that it's a temporary state of war. And God will have his say in the end. And I don't know about you, but I think it's a price worth paying for free will to reign in our lives eternally, don't you? The final falsehood, so the first falsehood comes in form of intellectualism. The second one comes in the form of rationale. And here's the, the final falsehood that I'm going to talk to you about. This falsehood comes in the form of relativism. And relativism, excuse me, easy for you to say, uh, basically says this. It says, it says that, that, that uh, your truth is what you think it is. That there is no such thing as an absolute truth. Now, here's a couple of problems with that. It's a little self-contradiction. Number one, those who would insist that there are no absolutes are believing in an absolute, that there are no absolutes. Does that make sense? They're absolutely sure that there is nothing that is absolute. I don't know about you, but I, bit, I think that's a bit self-defeating and self-contradictory. Problem number two with this type of, of uh, falsehood is that it's, it's got a limited knowledge. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. You can't say, for example, that there are no dogs in Alaska unless you have absolute knowledge of Alaska. You've been there, and you've walked every inch of it, and you have not seen any dogs. And even then, you don't know if some come on the side that you can't see, but let's make believe that that's the case. Likewise, 
A finite human cannot make the statement that there is no God because he would have to have absolute knowledge of the entire universe from beginning to end in order to know that there is no God. Are you following what I'm saying? So this falsehood also makes no sense. It's basically as if they're saying, listen, with the limited knowledge I have, I don't believe that there is a God. <laughs> okay. Again, if I can take you to C.S. Lewis, I love the way he puts this. I, I, I'm going to warn you, this is a little, a little crazy. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis, he, he, he writes in such a, a, a wonderful way that you have to really kind of think. This is not the kind of stuff you can read quickly. So I'm going to try to read it slowly, but see if you can understand what he is saying here. It's so powerful. He says this, If the solar system was brought about by an accidental collision, then the appearance of organic life on this planet was also an accident. And the whole evolution of man was an accident too. If so, then all our present thoughts are mere, what? Accidents. The accidental byproduct of the movement of atoms. And this holds for the thought of the materialists and astronomers as well as for anyone else's. But if their thoughts, materialism and astronomy, are mere accidental byproduct, he says, catch this, why should we believe them to be true? I see no reason for believing that one accident should be able to give me a correct account of all other accidents. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. I see no reason for believing that one accident should be able to give me a correct account for all other accidents. It just doesn't make sense. You need to know that C.S. Lewis was an atheist at one time. And because of his interaction with other authors, he was able to, uh, to find God. Pretty amazing. So he speaks from, from um, experience, from having this moment with God. So Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 32 and 33, he says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Catch this. Those of you who are pursuing truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered, these religious leaders, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. Now, don't miss the irony in this. Don't miss the comedy in this. I think it's pretty funny. These are the Jews who are saying we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Fake news, here it is, right here. Uh, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. You've never been slaves to anyone? Well, what about the Egyptians? Well, oh, oh, okay, yes, the Egyptians. But besides the Egyptians, we have never been slaves to anyone. Well, okay, what about the Philistines? Oh, oh yeah, okay, okay, you know, throw those guys in. Okay, so besides the Egyptians and the Philistines, we have never been slaves to anyone. Well, what about the Babylonians? Okay, okay, so, yeah, okay, so besides the Egyptians and the Philistines and the Babylonians, we have never been slaves to anyone. What about the Persians? All right, besides the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Babylonians and the Persians, we have never been slaves to anyone. Well, what about, what about the Romans? 
You see, God understands that truth is like a kiss. The real truth sets us free. God knows, catch this, don't miss this. God knows that we don't need to be right. We need to be free. Do you notice? He doesn't say, you will know the truth and you will be brilliant. <laughs> you will know the truth and you will be better than everybody else. That's not what he says. When you are a slave in your soul, I think you're going to struggle to see slavery around you. Some of us have been so free that we become imprisoned by our own choices. And when you're living a lie, you're just a slave to those lies. Lies that tell you that, and, and, and lies you tell yourself and lies that you accept, that others tell you, voices in your mind, voices around you. Some of you have been told you don't matter. Some of you have been told that no one loves you. Some of you have been told that you're too broken. You've gone too far. It's too late. There's no hope. That's what others would like you to believe. And some of us have believed these lies, and we live accordingly, and we never reach our full potential. And we've become the sum total of other people's opinions rather than the one that God has designed us to be. But Jesus says, I love this, if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's truth is not information that you consume and digest and then spit out when you want to. God's truth is an interactive, dynamic life changing relational being who loves you more than you can ever know. God's truth isn't just knowledge or even just wisdom. God's truth is a person. I, Jesus says, am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you pursue that truth, Jesus says, you will be liberated. You will be unchained. You will be free and ultimately transformed. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of truth that I want to pursue the kind of truth that protects me from all the falsehoods. In his book, Mortal Lessons, a physician by the name of Richard Selzer describes a scene in a hospital room after he had performed surgery on a young woman's face. Let me read to you what he writes. These are his words. I stand by the bed where the young woman lies her face post-operative, her mouth twisted and palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, one of the muscles of her mouth had been severed. She will be that way from now on. I had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut this little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to be in a world all of their own in the evening lamplight, almost as if they were isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. 
he and this wry mouth I have made who gaze at each and, 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 and touch each other so generously? And the young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's cute. I like it. And all at once, I know who he is. I understand. And I lower my gaze. One is not so bold in an encounter with the divine. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That is the God of truth. The God that in a profound way accommodates himself to my brokenness, to your brokenness, to our brokenness. And he kisses us with his truth, which sets us free and transforms us. And if you have not been kissed by God's truth yet, get on your knees right now and pray with me. Will you let him? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have put eternity into our hearts, that we seek truth, we want truth. But there are so many confusing voices out there, and I'm so worried about people that only seek truth from other people. I pray, Father, help us to seek truth only from you. May we fall in love with you. May you kiss us with this truth and transform us that we may never forget it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, have a wonderful day. God bless. We'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way.